I am uh, an irrationally confident person. Um, we went to a daddy-daughter dance last night. Um, you know, it was, it was Church of Christ legal. Since it was, uh, it was predominantly the cha-cha slide, which is choreography. Because white women love to be told how to dance. I'm going to wait till Felicia stops laughing at that one. <laughs> the, uh, but it was, it was a good time. And uh, on the way there, I told my girls, um, listen, I want you to have as much fun as possible. And if, any, if at any point I embarrass you with how good of a dancer I am, you just give me kind of a... Give me a nod, and I'll tone it back a bit. And Clara was like, I'm going to go ahead and give you a nod now. (laughs) She went ahead and... And I told them. At first, they were like, I'm a little afraid to dance. And I said, guys, dancing is either fun or fear. You got to pick one. You're either going to be afraid that somebody's going to watch you, and I don't know what, do what, like punch you because you're bad. No one's going to be upset with you. One, and, but the, the thing you got to realize, no one's watching you. No one cares. Everyone else is just worried that everyone else is watching them. They don't have time to watch you, so you might as well have fun. And they eventually did. They had fun. They had to pick. You have to do that with, with life a lot of times. You have to pick whether or not you're going to have fun or whether you're going to be afraid. And that's just the way life goes. And we try to, at our house, choose fun more than a fear of what other people might think. That's just for us. That's been the way. Uh, it's, just, it's better that way. And so you kind of just walk into situations irrationally confident like we're gonna nail this probably not but we're gonna have fun doing it and that's the goal isn't it um and i think i think sometimes the same the same uh spectrum exists in the christian life where fun probably isn't quite the goal but faith is and you've got to decide whether or not you're going to have fear or you're going to have faith. You can't pick both. First and Second Kings is early on in the Old Testament. And if you were just staring at a table of contents in the Old Testament, you'd think, man, we're not even close, close to done here. But the timeline, the story of of the Old Testament actually only runs through Ezra and Nehemiah. So we're almost done. The rest of the Old Testament is wisdom literature, it's it's, um, poetry, it's prophecy that happened within these first little bits. First and second Kings, um, and then you 
course, you have First and Chronicles, and then you have Ezra, Nehemiah. We have stories of Esther, but Esther was is, is history, but it's also written for different purposes than to tell us about the history. So we have these tellings of the events of the people of Israel, and we're almost done because they have been so unfaithful that they are almost done. If you read First and Second Kings, the, uh, the 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 narrator of the, of that book has a tough job because there's two kingdoms. And he's having to tell you which king is where and when they come into power. And it's in the fourth year of the king of Israel, this king of Judah comes into power. And in the 18th year of the king of Judah, this king. Of, so he's kind of going back and forth and he's weaving a narrative of the two kingdoms. And then Assyria shows up. Well, Assyria, the country does not show up. The Assyrians from Assyria show up and they are knocking on the door of Israel and the door of Israel falls quickly. Remember the northern kingdom. So they're coming from the northeast, the Assyrians, and they are marching and they are whooping everybody. They're scary people. What they would do is they would they would besiege your town and they would they would uh, gather around the town. And the whole army would be encamped outside the town and you couldn't get out and no food could get in. And they didn't have running water. So no food or drink made it into the town. They cut off all supplies. And either the town gave up, either the kingdom gave up, or they were so weak that whenever it was time for the Assyrians to march in, they just marched in and it was just like flipping small little tables over. They just, they didn't even bother with these people. They didn't lose a life. The Assyrians just destroyed people. And when they took prisoners, they took prisoners and made their lives horrible these were scary dudes. They had names like Sennacherib and Tiglath-Pileser III. And I'm assuming Tiglath-Pileser II. Thank you. And they had, they had, they had these big these rulers who would come in and just take people out. They were ruthless and they destroyed the kingdom of Israel but in the kingdom of Judah we have this one good king there's actually two there at the end but there's this one we're going to talk about this morning we'll find him in 2 Kings 18 in the third year of Hoshea son of Elah king of Israel Hezekiah son of Ahaz king of Judah began to reign. Nailed the dismount on that verse. I was scared of it. He was, he, he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Now, they tell you about his mother because every time in Scripture we have someone who is doing an incredible will 
the incredible will of God, they tell you about his mother for some reason. They don't care otherwise, but man, let's talk about moms when the guy does fantastic. We'll talk about dads when the guy's a jerk. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now remember, David's not his father, but David's his great 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 grandfather. And so, if I nailed that, I don't know. Someone look it up. But he's being attributed to David because David was one of the last people who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehu... No, I don't know that. We'll call it Dave. (laughs) Nehushtan. Now, the... um, Hold on, time out. Since Moses... They've been doing this since Moses. David failed to tear this guy down. Solomon failed to tear. They've been offering incense to the snake that, that Moses built a long time ago. So this is roughly 7, 724, 725 B.C. Moses was 500 years before that. They've been offering incense to a snake that Moses made for 500 years. And even David didn't tear this down. And Hezekiah comes in and says, no, we're, we're taking care of all of this. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. Now, what's crazy is I'm sure the rest of Judah was like, okay, I guess this is fine. No, they weren't okay with this. They're never okay with you taking what they have normally done. Especially something that you that has been normative for 500 years. They're not okay. People aren't okay with you taking normal and making it holy. People are not fine with that. No mention of them, though. Because you know what Hezekiah didn't do? He didn't take poles. Hezekiah didn't take the temperature of the world and say, hey, this is what uh, you should be doing. You know, it turned out to be really popular if you made this particular stance. Hezekiah said, I'm on the way of the Lord. I'm following the way of the Lord. Let's tear down all the things people worship and we will just worship the Lord. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Do you know who that counts? David. There was no one like Hezekiah. Hezekiah was so committed to God that he took the things the people valued that the people used, even at times, worship to worship God. He said, this is not how you're doing it. This is not okay. He took normal and he made it holy. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Okay, now, this to us, this just sounds 
like Bible talk. It's just, it's just fancy Bible talk. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Yes, all right. What happened next? No, pause. He rebelled against the most vicious person that the world has ever seen. He had no help from Egypt. Do you know why Egypt wasn't helping Israel or Judah at this point? Because Israel didn't want to get in the way of Assyria. I mean, Israel, Egypt didn't get, want to get in the way of Assyria. This was scary stuff. And if you could go, if you could be transported back in time, you would see in this period that everyone was terrified of the king of Assyria. If he showed up, it meant you died. It was, it was not, it wasn't fancy Bible talk to them. It was serious, scary stuff that everyone sees him, his army march over the hill. You know, you and your children and your, your friends, that's the end of you. We don't know that sort of fear. We don't. Now, people around the world do at times, but the king of Assyria was scary. <laughs> and talk about a rebel. Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria. Hezekiah chose faith over fear. And was considered, because of that choice, he was considered the greatest king Judah ever had. He was considered the greatest king. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah's choice was not one that he made lightly. And it was not one that they could make into a Christian movie. I don't know, I... I don't see a whole lot of Christian movies, but for the most part, turn your life around, you get a new truck, your football team starts winning. And Christianity is not like that. Faith is not like that. Once you say that prayer, God, the, the enemy doesn't come up and go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. That's how the enemy talks, apparently. Oh, go away. I have, I, you know what? I just realized that sounded a little bit like Trump. I wasn't trying to do a Donald Trump impersonation. I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't going there. I don't think I can do him. But I will work on it in the mirror later today. That's for sure. Um, no, but the enemy comes up and the enemy doesn't just back off because the because you told them you prayed. Actually, and if you'll read in Scripture, uh, we, we won't have it on the screen, but if you go read in the story even, it has Sennacherib standing there kissing his biceps, saying, oh, okay, you, all right, you're going to pray this one out? All right, good. You know, you know the other towns had gods too? You know they, that town had a god, and that town had a god, and now that town's dead, that town's dead. And you're going to just, you're going to pray. And he even says to the people, don't trust Hezekiah here. 
You're trusting Hezekiah who trusts in the Lord, but you don't need to trust Hezekiah and he don't need to trust in the Lord. Come on, pay homage to Sennacherib and you, well, some of you will get out of this alive. And Hezekiah, in a moment of fear, now, Hold on, I don't, I don't want you to think that there, that when you are afraid, that that is not faith. That's not true. When you are afraid and you choose to live by that fear, that is not faith. But when you are afraid and you choose to live by faith, Anyway, man, that's some real good faith. Hezekiah goes to God and says, Whew, this guy's crazy. I'm summing up here. What, what, can you let me know? And Isaiah shows up. And the, the word of the Lord here to me is profound. Because the word of the Lord that Isaiah brings against the king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord that, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him, the Sennacherib, against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Okay, so the image here is uh, this, this big fancy guy, this big king of, of, of Syria c- comes into the camp and says, I'm in control now. And then just like the weakest of the weak tosses their hair at him. You know, like whatever. The weakest of the weak in our camp makes nothing of you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. You will run away. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. I like that he answers him. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to? like Tom Cruise in that Jack Reacher movie. Remember you asked for this. Thank you. I'm glad someone got that reference. I'm a literary person. I watch movies. The, in that movie, they, a bunch of guys are trying to want to pick a fight with this ex-really bad dude. And they say, of course, it's it's... Tom Cruise, who's playing Jack Reacher, which you, if you've read the books, who's, he's like, he's Tommy's size. You know, big, just strong guy. And, but then they pick Tom Cruise to play him, who's like an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> so they get make, but Tom Cruise, they, they said, all right, we're going. And he goes, well, which one, are you all going to do this at the same time? And they said, yeah, we're going to take you on. And he goes, I remember you asked for this. And he ends up whooping him. He's confident. He knows his abilities better than their abilities. And God comes in and says, 
Who do you think you're talking to? And who are you to be talking to me? Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against who, whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains and utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choices of its junipers. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. He's just here saying, I'm bigger than you are. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into pile of stones. Your success, he says, was my fault. You can't even take credit for the good things you've done. Their, their people drained to power are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting off on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are. Oh, no, 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 man, God doesn't. No, if God ever says that to you, change where you are. And when you come and go and how you rage against me because you rage against me and my and, and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. This is God's way of saying you can come on over here, but you're going to be leaving with a limp. You're going to pull back a nub. This is God's way. This is God's way of saying, I, you, you have no idea what you're, the buzzsaw you're about to run into. Scripture goes on to tell us that a couple nights later, most of them are dead. An angel of the Lord comes into the camp and just takes them out. And it's funny if you actually go back and you read the Assyrian accounts of these sorts of things. They're, they're very boastful. You know, most of these old accounts are. So the kings come in and they say, oh, I have brought, I don't know, old kings always have British accents. Oh, I have brought this, I have brought this group out and, they, and I took them and I, I stood all of them on their head and they were all embarrassed and I, I tore all their curtains and painted their walls odd colors. And, like they're always talking about all the fantastic things they did in each town. We killed three billion of them with one sword. And it's all big and fanciful. And they, they, they over-exaggerate everything. Everything was because Sennacherib did this. And Tiglath-Pileser did this. And they all, had, they all had these big, brilliant stories. And they get to Israel. And, like, and we got to Israel and decided to go home. They do talk about how they're more powerful than, the, than this little town of Jerusalem. But it's almost like, oh yeah, nothing happened there. We can't find any historical records of this actually happening. Except for this one. Because the Assyrians aren't talking about this. They're not putting it in their journal that God took them out. I don't, know, I don't know what you've got camped out around you right now. 
that's making you afraid to go out and do the will of God. I don't know what you've got camped out around you that is depriving you of your strength, that is drawing your resources from you. Maybe it's a life change. Maybe it's some broken relationship. But the worst thing you can do is be afraid of it. And let that fear rule you. Christians are to be irrationally confident in the grace and power of the Savior who is our King. Christians are to be absolutely uh, unafraid. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Fear is. Living by fear. That's why one of the worst things church people say, church people say this, whenever you decide to do something. People say, like, well, we're going to start a new program, this program, or we're going to start this new activity. And people come up and they're like, you know, I'm afraid that, well, you don't get an opinion. I'm sorry. If you, sit, if you start a sentence in the kingdom of God with, I'm afraid that. You might want to hand that sentence over to God before you start stay, saying it out loud. Because fear, fear won't take us anywhere. And faith can move mountains. And I think, I think we would have a lot to be afraid of if we didn't have God with us. But we've got to remember, God is with us. The Spirit does guide us. The tomb is empty. Whatever is encircling your camp, you can walk out of your camp and be unafraid because God has me. Now, you t- I tell you what, the end of the story, Hezekiah dies, and then, um, and then the Babylonians come in and do what the Assyrians couldn't. Like, if you roll credits here, it feels good. But about 150 years later, not so good. Because they went back to choosing fear over faith. You're an irrationally confident, or you should be, an irrationally confident follower of the king who can overcome anything. Your brokenness, your sinfulness, your, your, your struggling marriage, your struggling finances. Now, tell you what, he's not gonna, God's not going to automatically make your um, husband listen to you because you pray. And God's not going to make your checkbook um, more bountiful because you pray. 
But you can face those enemies. You can face that darkness head on with God beside you. It might not go well every time. But if you let it, and if you are uh, ruled by fear, it will go fear's way every time. But if you are ruled by faith, God will be with you. God will be present. Because we serve a good king who trusted in the Lord fully. And when death came, it was defeated. We serve that king. Because if Jesus is going to walk out of the tomb, so am I. Jesus is going, but to say that, I've got to also got to say, if Jesus is going to not be afraid, then I'm going to take that path too. You may think that you're not ready to follow Jesus. And if you think that, that's the truest thing you've ever thought. But, thankfully, you don't have to be ready to follow Jesus. You just have to be willing. And the Spirit of God and the presence of Jesus will make you ready. So when we join in him in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, when we announce that he is king through confession, then we are saying that I commit to faith instead of committing to fear. If you've been ruled by fear, if you want to commit to faith this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.